Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the Power, to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. 
Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert in the beautiful state of Arizona, I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on Gab, Gitter, and Facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. And you can find my books, our affiliate sponsors for the show, Pro One Water Filters, and our behind-the-scenes content through Patreon, all linked up on our website at thesecretteachings.info. That's .info. You'll also find our full show archive there where you can listen to the show for free, even if you're not a subscriber. There are several links to different podcasts and radio players, where you can also, again, listen to the show for free. If you'd like to get rid of the monetized ads, though, you can subscribe to the archive on the website. You'll get access to all the shows, all the montages, all my digital books. You'll get first exclusive access to the show Monday through Friday when it is pre-recorded, meaning that you can listen to the show before it goes live on the network later in the evening. Sometimes early in the morning, sometimes early in the afternoon, whenever I get the show up, just subscribe. Once you get your login, you'll be able to access all of that, and that will include the show before it goes on air when it is pre-recorded. www.thesecretteachings.info That's www.thesecretteachings.info You may have noticed that the introduction to the show, that music that just played, is new. I'm trying to play through some of the songs that I have through some companies and some artists that let me use their music for free. If you have the ability to make music and you think that you can make us a really bad ass uh, introduction theme that'll go right after the the, 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 the static and then the music comes in for me. Uh, if you can make something and you want to try to try to put something together you may just you might just make it into the introduction to the show because I'm looking for something different than what we've been using that's kind of it's kind of quiet and I, I want something more mysterious like you just heard. So if you want to work on something like that, if you have music, if you make music and you'd like to give us the rights to it, email me at rdgable at yahoo.com uh, and let me know what you think. Uh, I would love to to play some uh, some more music from people out there listening for those of you who are uh, artists. You know, even if you're in a band and you do a lot of vocals, uh, you know, even if you just send us instrumentals, maybe we can play some stuff uh, on the show like we have in the past before. So that is uh, the update. That is the new stuff going on with the secret teachings. We also have uh, some new behind the scenes videos over on Patreon. And uh, this weekend, uh, I actually had a really nice relaxing weekend. It's the first time in a few weeks I've been able to really stop, take a deep breath. I did a lot of reading and I've been uh, going through some of my books here in the studio because that's that's really, if you've ever seen my studio, it's all my possessions are books. So I was going through some of the books. I took them to um, a local bookstore and I, I, I traded some of them in for some other stuff. Uh, got some new books. So that was exciting. Um, things that I'm doing privately sometimes, I think it's I don't like to always mention them on air because I, I feel like if it's something I'm working on subconsciously, once I mention it, I feel like I lose motivation to do it. But I've I've been learning uh, uh, a new language, and as I've been learning the new language, I've uh, I've started to notice 
that language more, you know, at, uh, you know, at bookstores, I've seen books, um, that relate to what I'm learning. And, uh, you know, I started, I picked up some new books and I started reading some, some new stuff this weekend. So I had a really, really nice weekend. Um, had a, had a, had a really good time, uh, doing everything I did. And just, I, I was able to really relieve the stress. And for me, a lot of the time, the stress is, is, is time. Like when I look at the clock, and I know, okay, this next task is going to take me an hour. It's going to take me 30 minutes to go through these news articles. It's, it's going to take me a half hour. It's going to take me an hour to, to set up and, you know, make a, make a montage or whatever it is. Like, I'm, I'm just, I need to step away from the clock. Time to me is, is a very stressful thing. And uh, I feel literally like a, a physical weight off my body when I don't, I don't think of time. But uh, time is going to be a big part of tonight's show. Because we, we need to go back in time to start out with uh, a little bit of history before we can bring, a, bring ourselves up to date on what's happening today. Um, there are a couple of things that, that I'd like to discuss tonight. Uh, that includes, once again, the alternative media's hyping and sensationalism of a uh, declassified government uh, study, government uh, data, from 2014 about an interstellar object that either exploded or crashed into the the earth into the ocean Uh, that story dates back to 2014 Uh, fireball blazed over the skies of papua new guinea and then uh, supposedly uh, slammed into the water this is a uh, interstellar object that the government has has acknowledged entered our atmosphere and then crashed into the earth now of course the mainstream media you know like i found an article from live science i found one from vice uh this was april 10th by the way that this was reported and the the event took place seven years ago and the 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 articles about this especially in the alternative media are all about how this is an interstellar object and they use pictures of like cg spaceships ufos but if you you actually read it the object was a a small meteorite i know people are like well the government wouldn't tell us they would of course they would call it a meteorite Um, but the object measured 1.5 feet across so this wasn't some giant spaceship that crashed this wasn't some uh you know it's not like it's not like the episode of the twilight zone i think it was like the second or third episode of the twilight zone where you have the the little flying saucers that go visit that woman on the farm and the flying saucers have the little American flags on the side. It's like the U S air force, but this woman's a giant on some other planet. I know I might've ruined the episode for you, but I mean, this, this came out decades ago. So if you haven't seen it too bad, uh, this, this, this little tiny flying disc is like maybe a foot and a half across and the little, the little spacemen are, you know, they're really, really tiny and cheap. They like They attack her and she, or she attacks them. They attack her. It's like, it's a fun. It's a fun episode of the Twilight Zone, but this this object was only one and a half feet across. So this wasn't some giant spaceship. Once again, the mainstream and the alternative media, you know, take things out of proportion. The mainstream media does it because people will click on it if they think, "Oh, look, the government said a spaceship crashed," and the alternative media, I guess, honestly doesn't recognize that uh, the object was one point five feet across, not one point five miles. It wasn't a spaceship from Independence Day. It was a tiny little piece of rock and metal and and who knows what else that crashed into to planet earth interstellar though so that's interesting and it actually is the first interstellar object 
that uh, the government has, the U.S. government has acknowledged, uh, U.S. Space Command, the USSC, has acknowledged to, to have been detected and to have been cataloged. But it's strange that we're just hearing about it now, considering the, um, the, the, the coverage of Oumuamua and Borisov and these two interstellar objects that, that some have called uh, Bracewell probes. They believe that they're actually probes sent by other you know, races, civilizations, uh, alien species uh, that are meant to either communicate or monitor other civilizations. It's, just, it's, a, it's a space probe. And uh, some people think that Oumuamua was actually a Bracewell probe to kind of monitor the Earth. You know, all, all fun stuff to talk about. But once again, the object in 2014 was 1.5 feet across. So that's not a giant spaceship. The other big story is, I printed this out from Scientific American. Researchers led by Jonathan Jiang of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory have developed a new updated message that they would like to send to extraterrestrials. Now, going back in time, I said we're going to talk about time tonight, and this is something that, um, you know, if you watch The X-Files, there was a famous episode of The X-Files from Season 2, Episode 1, called Little Green Men, where Fox Mulder goes to the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico, and uh, he's trying to get this uh, this information that the, that the, uh, the radio... Uh, uh, observatory picked up from uh, flying saucers, from you know, from UFOs, from aliens, and uh, if you go back to 1974, 1974, there was a message sent from the Arecibo Telescope in Puerto Rico, and which is what the episode of the X Files was based off of, and it contained details about Earth and humanity. It includes information on mathematics. It includes information on our DNA, information on our solar system. In 2022, so very, very far apart here, we have uh, the international researchers led by JPL taking this message and they're trying to like, they're trying to recreate it and uh, add new information to it. And they want to send this information back out into the cosmos. So kind of like... um, Kind of like a, an updated Arecibo message, but they want to do this like either in 2022 or in, in the next couple of years. And they're saying that you know there really isn't at the moment officially a a, a, a really um, let's call it a prepared way. They don't have like a, pre- a a preparation for this. They're trying to communicate with uh, the Allen uh, Telescope Array in Northern California or the 500 meter. Uh, spherical radio telescope in China. They they say these two could send the message, but they, they'd have to they'd have to equip them and they'd have to do some some maintenance on them and some updates in order to send this message. I I feel that you know somewhere on this planet there's there's probably a you know technology that can send this stuff out now. But I mean the, the whole the whole point is in 2022 we're updating the 1974 message from Arecibo and uh, we're going to place into it. Similar information, but we're going to update it. Now, these are these are two famous cases, 1974 Arecibo, and then today it's famous in the sense that this is what everybody's talking about in uh, the alternative media now. And this was reported at the end of March from a Scientific American. Researchers made a new message for extraterrestrials. And uh, then there's some there's been con- some, a lot of concern in the last couple of days because uh, the the message, which was 
put together by these JPL uh, researchers and an international team of researchers led by Jonathan Zhang of, of JPL. Uh, they put together a 13-page epistle on what they call the beacon in the galaxy, and it's meant to provide basic information, basic introductory information on mathematics, chemistry, biology, etc., again, drawing on the original 1974 Arecibo message. Now, the Telegraph and a few other news publications published a, a story that, of course, gets, you know, it's, it's got a good headline. It gets a lot of attention, a lot of clicks. And they, they said that broadcasting, this is the headline, broadcasting Earth's location could provoke alien invasion, according to Oxford scientists. So the, the, this updated message they want to send, it, it has people concerned in the same way that, you know, famously Stephen Hawking was concerned and warned in 2010 that this might not be so good for humanity if we were to send out this information and we were to do so almost kind of frivolously and then to, uh, to wait on a response that might be detrimental to our civilization. You know, although it's a scientific achievement by some definition, some argue that the potential dangers far greatly outweigh any potential benefits. And um, although I don't like to pick a camp per se, I'm in the dangers outweigh the benefits camp if I have to choose. And much like Professor Stephen Hawking in 2010, Anders Sandberg of Oxford and his colleague Dr. Toby Ord both are expressing similar concerns. They're saying it might not be such a good idea to send all of these details into space, especially if we don't even have public discussion or you know, a minimally agreed-upon uh, international message. Because you know, a lot of people know of the Arecibo message, but you might not know that in uh, 2003, and I think they did it in 1999 or 2000, it was like 1999 and 2003, uh, there were separate messages called Cosmic Call 1 and Cosmic Call 2 that were sent out from a telescope in Ukraine called the Yev Patorio or Patoria Radio Telescope, the Yev Patoria Radio Telescope. And then another one was sent from METI, M-E-T-I, METI, in 2017. So that was just a handful of years ago. And uh, so whether you have uh, METI, which is the Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence, it's like an international nonprofit uh, group devoted to researching communication with other life forms. Uh, The president, Douglas Vekoke, sent out this message in uh, 2017. And it's the first time, actually, a few, four years ago, the first time since 2003 when uh, Ukraine's uh, telescope sent out the cosmic call message. So, you know, we've had 1974, 1999, 2003, 2017. We've had a bunch of these messages go out. And, you know, maybe concerns from Anders Sandberg of Oxford and Dr. Toby Ord and even, you know, uh, Stephen Hawking, that these, these concerns are maybe unfounded. You know, and, and, and I mean, I personally have a similar concern. Uh, there, there should be some agreed upon uh, uh, message or some agreed upon procedure uh, rather than just sending these messages out. I mean, obviously, chemical signatures and electromagnetic signatures are, are, are present for anybody paying attention. If anyone is listening, if anyone is watching, if anybody is scanning the skies, they could probably easily find planet Earth. And, and that's, that's what the, the proponents of sending the message, 
not necessarily in a way that's frivolous, but just those that are, you know, they just want to send it. It doesn't just send it. Let's try to communicate with something, with somebody, with something. Uh, they say that we, we blew our cover a long time ago because we, I mean, we, we have radio, we have television, we've detonated nuclear bombs. And you know, I mean, I agree. Yeah, I, I see that point of view. We, we've already kind of blown our cover. But I, here's the thing. This is what I was thinking of when I, when I kind of put together tonight's show. I was thinking, but that's also assuming that whoever or whatever is listening is also on our level of technological advancement. I mean, I think a, an atomic bomb is is maybe a better example of how we've already blown our cover, and there's a lot to discuss within that realm of possibility. But the argument in the scientific community is we have radio, we have television, and we're sending out these signals, and I mean, we're not really... We're not really hiding who we are, so why not send a, a direct message? Let's send a message with uh, human DNA. Let's send a message with where we are in the solar system. Let's send a message with uh, you know our planet's population. Let's send a, let's just send send all the, which is kind of sounds silly when you say that. I feel that it just sounds like it, it's just like you're giving all this information to a potential enemy. But then again, that's also a very, to be fair, that's also a very human, you know, way of thinking. Like, how, how many years advanced are we from the Stone Age? I mean, if we went from truly, we honestly truly went from a horse and carriage to space flight in about 100 years, then how is it that we could conceive feasibly that any other species, any other civilization having, let's say, even a 200-year advantage, a 500-year advantage, wouldn't be so exponentially advanced that, that we might not be able to even recognize what their technology is. I mean, that's why some people think Oumuamua it was a Bracewell probe, or that there are other you know things that, to us, they look like asteroids or comets, but they might actually be probes that are observing the Earth. And that's the thing, like they say, interstellar, Amoa Moa. And that makes people think, well, it's interstellar. It's like a, a movie and it's like aliens. And it's, well, not necessarily. And the, of course, the alternative media does the same thing. Oh, look, an interstellar object exploded over Earth in 2014. Declassified government docs show. Yeah, the object was 1.5 feet across, according to the documents. So not, not really an alien spaceship. But see, the, the thing is, like, I, I feel personally that there's there's another reason that we want to communicate with things, with beings, with aliens, with whatever you want to call them. And I think a lot of it is is psychology. I mean, obviously, humans want to explore. Humans want to to uh, grow and, and, and communicate. And I mean, that, that's just the basis of who we are, that, that that's what we are. But we we try to communicate with again, let's call them aliens, extraterrestrials, whatever you will, I feel that although there potentially are dangers and scientists, Stephen Hawking, Oxford researchers, they've all, people have warned that this might be a dangerous thing. I, I honestly think that what most people are more concerned about, and, and this is actually fueling the desire to send these messages and also fueling a desire to abstain from sending these messages 
is I guess it's almost I've like I've I've kind of thought about this and I feel like I've psychoanalyzed myself and I've thought well maybe this is why I really don't don't advocate for sending this like I don't necessarily agree that this is a good idea and that is because what happens if we got a response but rather than getting a response from some super hyper duper advanced extraterrestrial species and they come and invade the planet what if the response was akin to like a postcard? What if the response was akin to like a text message? Like we just basically get back an interstellar LOL or an interstellar, um, you know, uh, talk to you later. I, I mean, how would that affect our civilization? That, that we communicated with something, that there's something out there and it's very advanced and it's not actually concerned with blowing us up or taking our resources or it's not concerned with us any more than we are with ants when we, when we take a walk on a, on a trail and we go for a hike and maybe even more disconnected than that. Like they just acknowledge like, Hey, you're there. Like it's just a kind wave, but they don't really care. Like what that, 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 that I think is a much more cold and terrifying notion. I mean, perhaps a greater, uh, a greater horror story than a Hollywood alien invasion being brushed off by a superior intelligence, N- not even, you know, by our standards of emotion that th- they're being dismissive, but just like we don't matter to, to them. And uh, I think that might actually be much more devastating to our civilization than direct contact where we don't really know if they're hostile or if they're kind we don't really know what their motivation is, and they might have multiple motivations, just like humans do. Uh, or contacting, you know, beings, and rather than receiving a, a kind message or a, a message we have to, you know, and in, in, in try to interpret, it's just outright. We, we maybe we're a threat to them, and they intend to wipe us out. I, I think it's much more cold and terrifying to to think that there might be something out there much more advanced, and they respond back to us and say. We see you, but we we just don't care. I think that might be more detrimental to civilization than you know even an alien invasion. And and we might have gotten one of these responses in the early two thousands. I'm going to tell you about that when we come back from break here in the Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. This is the Secret Teachings. Email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Check out our archive, my books, and everything else about the show at thesecretteachings.info. Please leave us a review on the radio podcast player you're listening to this show on. And stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You are hearing the sound between that which is above and that which is below. It's KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform, from Apple to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Search the name and start listening today for free. But if you want to avoid those annoying ads, head on over to thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to the ad-free archive. It's got old shows, new shows, and you can also download Ryan's digital books. Subscribe today. What are you waiting for? The end of the world? If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of my research in your hands, visit our website and grab physical and digital copies of my books. 
Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, theology, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. And food philosophy might just change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Remember, shipping is always included with the books. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and get your copy today. The Secret Teachings is now on Gab and Getter. Search Ryan Gable on both to find the show or stick with The Secret Teachings in the Metaverse. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with your host, Ryan Gable. Do you have everything you need to explore The Secret Teachings? I've got my secret socks on and my secret TV and my secret TV channel. Looks like SpongeBob's ready. Are you? Hey, this is John Peasy at JohnPeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teaching. This is David Icke from DavidIcke.com, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. 1974, a message was sent into space from the Arecibo Telescope in Puerto Rico. It contained details about Earth and humanity, including mathematics, considered a universal language, our DNA, and information about our solar system. In 2022, just a few weeks ago, international researchers led by NASA's JPL have designed an updated message with even more information, and they're preparing to send that broadcast. Although they say at the moment there really aren't a lot of places they could send it from, it might be the Allen Telescope Array in Northern California, or the 500-meter aperture Arecibo-like telescope, the 500-meter aperture spherical radio telescope, FAST, in China. And they say that in order to send this new message, they're going to have to do some stuff to these these uh, communications devices to get them ready to send such a message. But they're also saying that they would like public and international cooperation on this. Jonathan Zhang of JPL, who leads the team of international researchers, wrote a 13-page epistle. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's kind of like a poem or something to that effect. It's like a, you know, a, a, a guideline or a small communication. And uh, they referred to 
this communication, this, this message as the beacon of the galaxy meant to, according to Scientific American, be a, quote, basic introduction to mathematics, chemistry, and biology that draws heavily on the design of the Arecibo message and other past attempts at contacting extraterrestrials. The researchers included a detailed plan for the best time of year to broadcast the message and proposed a dense ring of stars near the center of our galaxy as a promising destination. Importantly, the transmission also features a freshly designed return address that will help any alien listeners pinpoint our location in the galaxy so they can hopefully kick off an interstellar conversation. And if you look up this article from Scientific American, it's linked up at thesecretteachings.info under the top news section. Researchers made a new message for extraterrestrials. They show you some samples of this the new designed message that they came up with, uh, basically showing extraterrestrials what our mathematics are, what our chemistry is, what we look like, our DNA, all, all, all you know, it's a lot of the same stuff that was back in 1974, and they're just kind of updating it. You know, it doesn't really sound uh, to some people like a good idea, and that's just what got me thinking tonight on the show because it's not. This new message, it's not 1974. We, we, we've sent messages before, and uh, there's a lot of different angles to this. So back in 2003, and again in 1999, uh, Cosmic Call 1, that was 1999, and Cosmic Call 2 in 2003 were sent from a telescope in Ukraine called Yev Patoria Radio Telescope. Another message was sent just a few years ago from METI, Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence, a non-profit organization dedicated to talking to extraterrestrials. But we also can't forget that around the same time that the Arecibo message was sent from Puerto Rico in 1974, Voyager was, uh, was launched with you know the golden records, very famous golden records or phonograph records containing sounds and images of life and culture carefully selected from planet Earth. Kind of like a cosmic time capsule. And all of these messages, all these things that we've sent out, you know, radio, television, people say that this means that there is no life. Others will argue it doesn't mean there's no life if nobody's communicated back with us. It just means maybe nobody has gotten the message. And people can have these, you know, debates and discussions and arguments all day, every day. Some people are more direct and to the point, like Anders Sandberg of Oxford and Dr. Toby Ord, his colleague, as well as Stephen Hawking back in 2010, both expressing uh, concerns over sending such a message that it might not be a good idea because, uh, first, we have very little public discussion on the matter. We have very little internationally agreed upon uh, uh you know, compiling of, of what to send, although I think basic math, chemistry, DNA, and things like that are probably what would internationally be agreed upon if the whole world got together and said, let's design a message to send to ET. But, you know, it, there really is just, there's no regulation of this. There's no, there's no like baseline. It's just, it's whatever. You, anybody can do it. So, plus, you know, with radio and TV, we, we've already been broadcasting into the, into the universe. And some would say that means that, you know, nobody's concerned about us. There's no danger to, to sending these messages out. Now, even though some people say that we blew our cover a long time ago, I, I don't think these arguments are based on anything except 
what humans are capable of. Like, we personally, as individuals, we collectively, as cultures and societies, and we collectively as a civilization over all of this planet, you know, we we view the world in a very specific way based on current levels of, of, of technology. We view the universe based on current levels of technology. We hypothesize, we theorize, sometimes we just take guesses. And I think it's I think it's off base to assume that because we haven't had the kind of contact we desire, you know, like someone's going to pick up a phone and call us or Skype us or the aliens are going to text us or we're going to have, you know, a direct radio communication sent, you know, to, to whoever on earth is intending to receive it, whether it's SETI or some university. But our, our, our assumption of that is based on our perception of space travel, uh, how, how we can at the moment travel in space, even get into space for that matter. It's based on our idea that our electromagnetic radiation from televisions and radio, chemical signatures are things that, I mean, you would assume based on the best knowledge that aliens, if there are aliens that are looking for these things, that they're, first of all, that they're looking for them at all, but that they're going to identify them and say, okay, look, we've got potential life there. Let's go visit it. That's a very I don't want to say it's a human thing because we have absolutely no idea how how advanced or you know how another species another you know uh, civilization might think but it's it's still very human and when we can't blame ourselves for that that's that's we we are human so that's how we we look at things but to say that we blew our cover so let's just continue to send messages out I I think is still a little bit irresponsible because even if you know aliens can detect these things, uh, that might be old for them. That might be old school technology. Let's say, like we're we're personally, collectively, we might be advanced, but some other civilization might be so advanced that they don't communicate in the same way that we do. In fact, they might be so advanced that you know they they don't look for things like chemical signatures or electromagnetic radiation that might be thousands of years in their in their history you know they might be thousands of years more advanced than us jonathan Zhang, the lead researcher for jpl who put together this 13 page uh, epistle on the beacon of the galaxy they call it has argued that it is quote an invitation to all all the people of earth to participate in a discussion about sending out this message. So he wants discussion. He wants the world to discuss what should we do in sending this message out? How, how should we, we, we put this together? What information should we include? In, and, and then where can we send it from? But I was thinking that in a world dominated by Twitter, in a world dominated by talking points and sound bites and rhetoric, in a world dominated by TikTok, it almost seems laughable to even suggest that the average person be capable of forming a coherent sentence at all, let alone one worth delivering to potentially hyper-advanced alien civilizations. I don't mean that the, the person walking down the street is making the decision, but even in academia, even in you know universities, I mean, our, it seems like our culture is, is oversaturated in the, the Twitter and TikTok mindset very short attention spans, even for very intelligent people. 
everybody is focused and concerned with sound bites and you know even intelligent people that that can think and and have a have an attention span have to you know limit that so that they can communicate with the average person when you're teaching a class or hell even when you're hosting a radio show you have to you know craft it in a way so it's interesting so it makes sense to people that that their brains are otherwise fried by constant visuals constant sounds constant likes and dislikes and shares and hearts and smiley faces people's brains are pretty fried from this so it's kind of laughable to think that people who communicate in sound bites and uh, poop emojis are going to have anything to say to extraterrestrials i mean it would i maybe that's why we haven't been outright contacted because they they see this right maybe that's why um i mean it might be it might be uh, it might be like asking if aliens remember the famous um video clip of the guy asking president clinton Boxers or briefs, Mr. President? Now, you can ask the president anything, and you ask him boxers or briefs. That might be what it would be It would be like. It would be like asking aliens, do you, do you guys wear boxers or briefs? You know, or maybe we'd send a message to aliens and ask them, uh, do, do you guys support trans rights? You know, I mean, like, the funny thing is, aliens might actually be more trans. They might be non-aliens probably are non-binary, you know? Especially if they're, you know, traveling vast distances, they might be in biomechanical suits, they might be robots and drones like the greys supposedly are. If you listen to stories, if you read stories of gray aliens and contact with gray aliens and abductions, they don't have genitalia, they don't even have mouths, So, and they communicate telepathically. I mean, is that a machine? Is that something that's evolved organically? I mean, these are the debates in ufology. These are the debates in uh, alien abduction circles. So maybe they are more advanced in those ways, and maybe that's maybe we all eventually become non-binary. Maybe we all become, uh, you know, part synthetic, and there's no point to having any sex, any gender anymore because we just become machines. And maybe that's what these aliens are. Of course, if the aliens were pale-skinned, it begs the question: you know, would some people? immediately classify them as having, you know, white alien privilege. I mean, it sounds like a joke, but I'm, that that is where our culture is today, especially on the Internet, especially where these conversations about what should we say, what should we what should we include in our, our, our message to these aliens? I mean, that's what some people would want to, would want to include. Are, are you alien? Do you have, do you have pale skin? Because if you do, you're probably uh, privileged aliens and that's we don't want to communicate with you start an intergalactic war over the color of a <laughs> of an alien skin. But, you know, the thing is, all joking aside, whatever we're communicating with, it's likely would be not just a few hundred or a few thousand, which would greatly separate them from, you know, even our current level of, of technological ability, a technological uh, uh, knowledge. They'd probably be millions of years old if they or if the universe allows for that length of development without there being some kind of uh, contraction that, you know, civilizations eventually destroy themselves. So it, it might not be such a good idea to send these messages out. But what happens if we get a message back? And what happens if that message that comes back isn't, one extreme or the other. What if the message that comes back isn't, hi, how are you? 
we'd also like to communicate. What if the message comes back and it says something between, hi, how are you, and we're going to come and kill you? What happens if the message is basically, yeah, sure, we see you, but we're not really concerned? And people have talked about this, but th- this, this idea is almost, I think, more chilling. And in fact, there, there, there might have been a, a, a message that it wasn't hostile and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, you know, I, I could say friendly. It was more mechanical that was supposedly, I can't verify this, but supposedly received in 2001, early 2000s. And the message was a crop formation near the Chilbolton Radio Telescope in England. And some people believe that this crop formation, some 25 years later, presented us with an answer to the original Arecibo message. And uh, the crop formation, which, again, people think is just a hoax, It's a very complex crop formation if you look at it. It contained information very similar to the Arecibo message, but it depicted a different DNA structure and the image of a a tiny little gray alien-like being, small body and, and large head. Of course, it's just a hoax. Of course, people have taken responsibility for making it. Of course. However, if this were just a, a hoax, if this were just um, some guys with some two-by-fours and some rope, you, I mean, you would expect that the, the only reason this, this crop formation was so kind of powerful for some people was because it was basically a replication of the 1974 message, but a response as if it had been sent by by a, a very specific form of extraterrestrial. And it just looking at it and thinking, I mean, it, was prob- it probably was a hoax or probably was, you know, cre- created in order to, uh, to, to drum up discussion about these kinds of communications. But even if it, it were real, it's kind of eerie, you know, to look at it. Even if it were fake, it's kind of eerie to look at it. It's, it just gives us this idea that, it's not it's a message that basically gives the same message back and there's something communicating to us it it, it to me it it feels mechanical it feels metallic it feels almost robotic which is maybe that's because you know gray aliens are thought to be more like uh robots or drones but it it feels robotic it feels mechanical there's something cold about it and maybe that maybe that's just science maybe that's just how science is you know, we, we share DNA, we share messages of math and science, and we share messages about chemistry and where our planet is and all these other things. But maybe that's, it just feels cold because it's, it's mathematical, it's, it's code, it's like a computer. It's, maybe that's why. I, I'm, just, I'm just going through all the different, this is not scripted, I'm just going through all the different thoughts, all the things that I'm, that I'm thinking about here. And I mean, it goes without saying that even the notion of such a response, particularly if it doesn't involve physical contact, if it's just a message, and we can't even determine how this message is is to be, um, how this message, we can't interpret how it's to be interpreted. 
frankly, we can't. We don't know if that crop formation is real. Is it fake? Is it a hoax? We we have no idea. I mean, we we don't know if there's any uh, civilization capable of handling our level of technology. We might be we might be immensely more advanced. And by the time these messages are a SIBO or the ones sent from uh, Ukraine in the early 2000s, late 1990s, or even Voyager in 1977, by the time these things reach these uh, other planets, these other solar systems, uh, those civilizations might be long gone or they might just be developing. And uh, by the time the new message gets there, you know, the one that we're crafting in 2022, maybe the, the civilization is more advanced now. Like we, Time is such an important factor and distance is such an important factor. We, we really don't know. So maybe that's what's motivating people. Just keep sending messages. Keep saying maybe we'll, we'll eventually hit the target. But again, it goes without saying that even the notion of getting a response, if it doesn't involve physical contact, if it's not an outright invasion, which you also have to ask, like what would be not a Hollywood alien invasion, but like what would be a real alien invasion? It would probably be very sophisticated. It might be akin to something that we're seeing happening in the world today. It might be more like um, captive state where the aliens really don't show themselves, but they've got total control of all the, all the globe, global, all the world's governments. And they have certain representatives that talk to the public for them. And they're considered our, our saviors and our heroes, and we cheer them. Obviously, the movie's about a resistance to that, but it, it might be more like that. It, it probably would be very sophisticated. Not everything has to be a, a mile long, a mile wide spaceship blowing New York City up. So if we do get a response, maybe the Chilbolton so-called response in the early 2000s in um, England, the Chibolton Radio Telescope crop formation. Maybe that's just a hoax. Okay, but here we may have hyper-advanced aliens that are sending us what is, you know, basically a postcard, and they might not want anything to do with us. And perhaps that's the real reason that people are motivated to message the cosmos despite the downside being so much greater than the benefits. Uh, the potential downsides are, are, are I, I feel, greater than any potential benefits because the likelihood that we're going to communicate with something as we communicate and the likelihood that it's going to want anything to do with us or that it's going to not be hostile or not think that we're hostile and, and, and act in self-defense is, I would think, no pun intended, astronomical. Just to communicate with something is probably astronomical. Uh, but we desire communication from higher intelligence so much so that wanting to communicate with aliens is almost like trying to communicate with God. And I think that's the religiosity. That's the, the, the motivation. It's the faith-based belief system within people that want to, they might not believe in God, but they want to communicate with a higher intelligence in the physical universe. And the, the idea that nothing is there or that what is there doesn't care I think is equally as cold and equally as terrifying. You watch Independence Day, watch Mars Attacks, very, very classic, fun movie. I mean, that's, that's the Hollywood version of the alien invasion. In all likelihood, a real alien invasion would be far more sophisticated. And that also assumes that our civilization is so much of a threat that 
aliens decide that they need to to do something about it or that we have resources that they think they have to kill us to get to the resources. My most of this planet is uninhabited. I don't think aliens would have to do that. I think they could just isolate areas that are that are um, relatively free of of any kind of human occupation and then go there and extract the resources they need, maybe even establish bases there underwater or mountains like uh, we think that our planet is overcrowded or overpopulated. It's it's overcrowded in cities, but the planet itself isn't overpopulated, overcrowded. There's so much space. Like aliens wouldn't have to wouldn't have to wipe out a city to get access to the resources. In fact, it would probably be best if they 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 don't go to cities. They go to the to the the uninhabited areas, and they're going to probably find you know resources that are untapped there and get what they need and move on. But again, being brushed off by aliens or you know some civilization somewhere is probably even if it's politely done is probably if you think about it going to be more devastating to our civilization than direct contact you know Stephen Hawking once said that when uh, Europeans came into contact with uh, with natives that um this is a quote, we only have to look at ourselves to see how intelligent life might develop into something we wouldn't want to meet, citing the arrival of Europeans in the American, Americas. But, you know, that, that might be, one, it could, it, that might be an understatement, uh, but it also might be an overstatement. It might be that we communicate with something so advanced, it doesn't desire to take resources, it doesn't desire to kill us, it doesn't desire to do anything but politely wave and move on. You know, we're like, or like a bum on the side of the street, and someone once doesn't really want to give them money or food, but they're just kind of like, de- as a human, they're being decent. And they're like, yeah, hi, how are you? And they just drive away. And I think that that might be more devastating. Think about that. That might be more devastating to our civilization than direct contact. I mean, you, you, you can always always rebuild a city that's blown up, maybe. <laughs> you, know, you can maybe humans survive and, and, and repopulate the planet after an alien invasion. I don't know. But you know, the the idea that something's there, vastly superior intelligence, and we just we communicate. It doesn't want to communicate with us, so it just kind of brushes us off or politely waves. And I think that's why we're so thirsty for proof, and we're so thirsty to communicate. And I think it's an excitement that goes beyond our desire to learn and to explore. It's almost religious. It, no matter how much evidence is presented to the contrary by, let's call them alien atheists, people that want to communicate with civilizations beyond our own, continue to reach out, continue to broadcast, continue to talk about it, continue to, to reach out and, and try to touch these, these other worlds. Just like with people who have faith, whether they're Muslims or Christians, despite all the, the evidence or the argument and the debate against faith, by atheists of one denomination or another. There's a lot of different kinds of atheists. And I'm not saying atheists as in, as in the individual atheist, just the idea that there's nothing there, there's no purpose to life, there's no point, we're all going to die, become worm food. The, the, people still believe in God. People still believe in Allah. People still believe in Jesus. People still believe in, in Buddha. People still believe in you know lifestyles and, and faith. And So no matter how much evidence is presented the contrary that's the, the contrary that's the whole point of faith anyway and people have that same kind of faith in uh, ufology in several fields of science that 
want to you know want to combine the chemistry and the biology and the and the and our knowledge of the cosmos and send that off and hopefully some thing or someone will get it and have the same desire to communicate with us but i feel like that's that's very very far fetched i feel like the 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 reality is what would happen is they they probably wouldn't be that interested not to demean humans but it i mean it would be like maybe we're receiving messages right now from a much more advanced civilization and we just don't know how to interpret them and they're so advanced they're not even getting you know essentially the equivalent of our messages they're we're too immature we're too childlike we're too infantile again not that humans are are bad and gross and grotesque and disgusting and evil it's just that we might not be advanced enough to pick up what they're sending by the time we are they might be gone it's very unlikely but it's still a dangerous idea and i think the psychology underlining all this is what happens if they don't care that might be more devastating to our civilization than if they do care i'm ryan gable this is the secret teachings www.thesecretteachings.info It's Bracewell for Impact tonight on the broadcast. Stay with us. There's more after this. The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform from Apple and Spreaker to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Also available as TST Weekends, our one-hour Saturday morning show. Search the show name and start listening today for free. And if you want to avoid those annoying ads, visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our ad-free archive with some of our older shows included. You'll get a private RSS feed and access to the Montage Archive and my digital books. Subscribe today or listen to the free show archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, grab a physical and digital copy of his books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Visit thesecretteachings.info. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. 
You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. This is David John Oates from reversespeech.com. You are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. This transmission is coming to you from the space between heaven and hell. It's KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Welcome back to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening as we broadcast around the world. We'd like to welcome our listeners in Pahrump, Nevada to the show. We'd like to also welcome all of you listening on the radio and podcast player of your choice. Please leave us a review if you are listening on a podcast or radio player. Let us know what you think of the show. Most importantly, let others know what you think of the show. Maybe they don't know about us, but they read a review and they decide to tune in because of that. And that would, of course, help the show. So please leave us a review. And please reach out to us if you'd like to communicate with us, share something with us. rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable at yahoo.com. We're also on Gab and Gitter and facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. You can also find us on Patreon for behind the scenes videos. The music is white bat audio on YouTube. They let us use their music royalty free white bat audio on YouTube. You can go check them out. And tonight is, um, tonight is one of those interesting topics that just makes you think last week we, we discussed the idea and the concept of God on Monday's show. On Monday's show, and despite the fact that we discussed uh, a number of other, I felt, very interesting things throughout the week, I went back and looked at the statistics for Monday's show about God, and uh, it was referring to an Easter weekend article and some other news uh, items uh, about how we should kill God for basically for, uh, for peace, because God is responsible for war. And, and we broke down kind of what the concept of God is, and I had a lot, of, uh, a lot of response on that show, but I went back and looked at the statistics, and that show did better than all the other shows we did last week, which was kind of surprising to me because it, it wasn't really a planned for show. It was just an, a, an idea, and we started talking, and we emerged with, uh, what was the name of the show, uh, you keep, I'll take the wine, you, you keep the bread. Or it was referencing an Ozzy Osbourne song uh, about uh, the wine and the bread. But that show is in the archive if you missed it. And tonight, it's kind of similar. It's like we're, we're sort of discussing not the concept of God, but the concept of a higher intelligence and what that higher intelligence might be and how we could communicate with it. I mean, in a way... Reaching out to other solar systems, other galaxies, and trying to communicate with other civilizations, despite the fact that it might be dangerous and perhaps it, it could be uh, it could be the precursor to a, an extermination level event on this planet, some people fear, 
or it could be the opening of a cosmic door that we need to reach the next level of human development. Or it could be somewhere in the middle. But reaching out to these other solar systems and galaxies and sort of just sending messages. I mean, for us, it's not random, but it, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's kind of random. Just throwing messages out, telling potential recipients of those messages who we are what we look like what our chemistry is our, our mathematics we think is you know the universal code and uh, language and we, we do all that and and we do it because we want to communicate with a higher intelligence so so science and academia that support this funny enough are really supporting a form of of magic because they're they're attempting to communicate with their higher selves they're attempting to communicate with intelligence that, you know, if you watch the Ridley Scott films, Alien, are basically, it's a, it's for a lot of people, it's a religion. They believe that extraterrestrials created mankind, and if we have enough money and enough know-how, we can reach out and communicate with these, these aliens, and, and, and the, you know, in the movies, the engineers... And uh, maybe they can save us from death. Maybe they can uh, provide us with new technologies that can save our planet. I mean, things that are very, although it is, it's based in, 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 in the foundation of, of, you know, human exploration and learning and growth. It's also based in, in, in a little bit of selfishness because we want, we want everlasting life. We want to achieve you know, immense technological developments that will allow us basically to control everything in nature. And uh, I think any civilization that has reached those ends probably either have totally merged with machines and become, because we're doing that today in the 21st century, or they have uh, annihilated themselves, or they, are, they exist now in a form that is unidentifiable to us. And it's, it's likely that we might not be technologically advanced enough to understand signals that are being sent to us, perhaps. We might be so technologically advanced that we might be one of the most advanced you know, based on, you know, timelines and how long, how long does the universe allow for a civilization to, 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 to exist before there's a natural law of contraction? And maybe our signals are, 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 are flying right by uh, uh, civilizations that aren't as advanced as ours. I mean, there's so many possibilities, so many potentialities that no matter how well you plan to send these messages like the 1974 Arecibo telescope message or the uh, even even the Voyager uh, golden record and uh, records in 1977 or the there was uh, the cosmic call message one and two sent in 1999 and 2003 from Ukraine or the Medi message in 2017 no matter how you plan this it all kind of seems frivolous in a way and it almost seems as if and I firmly believe this, that the downside, that the negative aspects of this far outweigh any potential benefits. I mean, I don't necessarily believe it's going to cause, you know, contact with an alien race that's going to come and kill us. I, I, that's, that's the Hollywood version. And that's also our view. That's just, that's our view. That's what we think. We, we think also that uh, some scientists, some researchers, some, you know, 
some people think, uh, even radio hosts, some people think that we already gave ourselves away with nuclear weapons. We already gave ourselves away with radio and TV signals. We already gave ourselves away with our chemical signature. It's just natural. So if somebody wanted to come here, something wanted to come here, they're going to do that anyway. And we've already given away our location and all this. So let's just keep doing it. But again, like the, the possibility of actually contacting something is very slim. So the more you do it, is you know, despite the fact that the universe is immense, the more likely you are of actually contacting something, which I think is the whole point anyway. It's like, well, we didn't get anybody with the first couple messages. Let's keep sending them, sending them. I think that becomes very dangerous. And much like Stephen Hawking warned in 2010, Anders Sandberg of Oxford and Dr. Toby Ord, who I mentioned earlier, both mentioned and uh, discussed in some uh, re- uh, recent uh, relevant news articles about broadcasting Earth's location and how that could provoke a uh, detrimental effect on the planet. Dr. Toby Ord and Anders Sandberg of Oxford uh, both believe that it might not be such a good idea to send these details into space, at least without having public discussion, at least without having uh, some minimally agreed upon international standard for sending these messages. Although these you know, proponents of sending the messages argue that we blew our cover a long time ago, so it doesn't matter. These arguments are still based on human capabilities like space travel and detecting chemical or electromagnetic radiation from televisions and radios. Jonathan Jang, the lead researcher from JPL, working with this international team of researchers, originally published a, um, a 13-page epistle discussing what is being called the beacon in the, uh, the galaxy, beacon in the galaxy that's this new message in 2022 that is now being discussed as what could potentially be an updated Arecibo message sent from a telescope in either California, a radio telescope in California, or in in China. The FAST uh, observatory in China is one of the, it's like the biggest in the world, I think, now. So it's one of the major major, uh, potential locations where they want to send this new message from. Now, Jonathan Zhang said that he wants all people of Earth to participate and uh, they want there to be an international discussion of what message we should send. It's probably a good idea to at least get our ducks in a row. But, you know, I, I, I said this earlier and I thought it was kind of funny. In a world dominated by Twitter and TikTok, it almost seems laughable to even suggest the average person who can't form a coherent sentence can put together anything worth delivering to potentially super advanced alien civilizations. I mean, it would be like asking aliens, like the one reporter asked President Bill Clinton all those years ago, Mr. President, do you wear boxers or briefs? Asking the aliens, do you wear boxers or briefs? Or maybe we're asking them if uh, they, uh, what the color of their skin is, because we've got to make sure they're not, they're not white privileged aliens, you know, or if they support trans rights, which is funny because, if you listen or read or watch anything out of ufology, anything out of you know alien abduction cases, you get pale, chalky-skinned beings who do not have a gender, do not have sexual organs, they don't even really eat, and they communicate telepathically. Maybe that's because they're robots and drones, which I think also kind of implies a larger... A larger point in this whole discussion, 
But uh, whatever they are, whatever these things are that might be communicating with us already, um, it, 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 it might take, you know, potentially millions of years or whatever to get here. But that is a very old way of looking at the universe. And it's very likely that anything that we are interacting with, you know, that might be related to UFOs and alien abductions probably can jump here very quickly. So again, the whole idea that we gave our location away, aliens could find us very easily if they wanted to, assuming they want to. It also assumes that what we're giving away is, you know, information that aliens are looking for, information that aliens might pick up on accidentally, basically our level of technological development. And it's also based on the idea that we we can send these things, but by the time somebody gets them and responds and they decide to come here, we'll we'll probably be long gone anyway, so it doesn't really matter. It won't have any effect on our civilization. But then that's assuming that, Everything takes a million years, you know, or, or several thousand light years to travel when the likelihood of that is it seems to be based on even theoretical physics is is slimmer and slimmer and slimmer, that it's very likely that you could jump from one location to another very quickly. So I mean again, tonight's show's not scripted. These are just different thoughts that I've had and, and different angles to this whole this whole story. The, the main line is in 1974, the Arecibo message goes out. Mathematics, DNA, information about our solar system. 2022, a few weeks ago, international researchers led by NASA's JPL have designed an updated message. This is the first message that could be sent since a message was sent in 2017 from METI. That's Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And messages were sent called Cosmic Call 1 in 1999 and Cosmic Call 2 in 2003 from the YEV. Patoria radio telescope in Ukraine. And this new message they're calling the beacon of the galaxy is going to provide uh, mathematics, chemistry, biology, etc. Basically, again, drawing on the Arecibo message. So the question is, is it a good idea or is it not a good idea to do this? What if we get a response? What if the response is exactly what we expected? We might feel that's suspicious. What if the response is the opposite of what we expected? That would also feel suspicious. Like we don't know what we're communicating with. It's, it's basically like you know talking to somebody on an online dating profile. You don't know who that person is, what they actually look like. It can be very dangerous. It's to be like cosmic, they call it catfishing or something. But in 2001, some people believe that there was a response to the Arecibo message called the Chilbolton response, a crop formation near the Chilbolton radio telescope in England. It was basically a crop formation, which a lot of people said were, was a hoax as well, that used the same type of format as the original Arecibo message, but depicted a different DNA structure and images of beans uh, or an image of a bean with a small body and large head. Kind of looked like a classical gray. It goes without saying that even the notion of, of, of such a response, even the idea of such a response, especially if it doesn't involve physical contact or outright invasion, is almost as chilling. I mean, we might have hyper-advanced aliens that are sending us you know, a postcard or an instant message, and it's basically a, a talk to you later or, you know, hi, how are you? And... Uh, it's not much more complicated than that. That might be a scientific 
breakthrough that might change you know the way that we look at the world there are aliens but the likelihood of that happening that's based on human perception of the world again how we communicate with each other and maybe the real reason that so many are motivated to message the cosmos despite the downside being so much greater than the benefits is they're looking like magicians they're looking like people that have faith in god they're looking for a higher intelligence they're looking to communicate with something of of a higher intelligence and, and a higher order we desire confirmation from a higher intelligence that we are worth communicating with. The idea that nothing is there or that what could be there doesn't care is equally cold and terrifying, perhaps a greater horror than any Hollywood and alien invasion, than, uh, you know, than anything that we've, we've thought about might be the worst case scenario or the best case scenario. What is the best case scenario? It, it might be a better case scenario that they brush us off and they might be hyper advanced and they could just as well destroy, you know, all of our civilization. Being brushed off, even politely though, by vastly superior intelligence, I feel might actually be more devastating to our civilization than direct contact, even if that direct contact was was uh was kind. There's there's always this this middle element that is that is uh, rarely considered. And that, that I think that, the idea of faith and potentiality, it, it's why we're so thirsty for proof and why we're so thirsty for communication. And I think it goes beyond our desire to learn and our desire to explore. It's, it's faith-based and it's, it's, it's magic-based. We want to communicate with something of a higher intelligence. We want to communicate with something uh, beyond us, beyond our world. And, and this is the way we're trying to do it. Uh, it's probably very unlikely that anything based on, you know, our, let's call it our public conception and perception of technological and scientific advancement. It's like unlikely that we're going to get anything, you know, in the news tomorrow that says aliens respond to 1974 RSCBO message or aliens respond to 2022 message sent by uh, JPL. Aliens respond to the beacon in the galaxy. It's unlikely that's going to happen. It's more likely that for the last 75 years, we have photographs, we have videos, we have high-level military personnel, we have low-level military personnel, we have presidents, we have government officials, we have citizens people that are credible and so many credible stories that confirm there's absolutely something going on in the skies above us and our oceans. And it doesn't take too kindly to nuclear weapons and it doesn't take too kindly to being chased and to being fired at by military craft, which is why the military, you know, eventually had decades and decades and decades ago after the second world war had to, uh, more more so around the Cold War, had to reduce their um, aggressiveness because planes were just disappearing. And there are so many military accounts of planes coming into contact with unidentified flying objects and a, a small beam of light touches the plane. Not only do the, the electronics malfunction, but the plane literally like flies into a vortex and vanishes. It just disappears. And it's not even like they're, they're they're not blowing these planes up. They just vanish. So it's like they're being erased. 
I mean, again, technology that, if it's nuts and bolts, is beyond anything we can conceive of. So we don't really need to look that far in the first place for contact with higher intelligences because it seems like we have that contact here already and we've had it for, for basically centuries. You can read stories and pa- you see paintings and you, you can see depictions and, and stories of this type of thing dating back to uh, pre-biblical times and, and likely far before that. And again, our ancestors, you know, they weren't looking for these things, but they, they saw them as, as shields. They saw them as boats. They saw them as chariots. That's what they had to describe what these things were. Today, we see them as spaceships because we have spaceships. But in 100 years, what are we going to refer to these things as? Something we can't conceive of today. But they're, they're here, whatever they are. Uh, the, the doubt that the military and the media and others have placed into the public mind is beginning to wear off. And some believe, I, I mean, I feel that it's a, it's not just a possibility. That's kind of like a, a very stale way of saying it. But it's, it's more than a possibility. It's a probability that the public is being groomed currently to accept the reality that we are not alone. And I feel that this is why back in 2017, the, the, the black money UFO, um, you know, ATIP program was, was reported on by the New York Times and Louis Elizondo became a rock star and, you know, Bigelow Aerospace became more well-known than it was before. And everybody wanted to talk about the, um, this threat identification program. Everybody wanted to talk about the Tic Tacs and, I mean, all very real stuff, but it, it, it seems to me not just stale. It almost seems like why that and why almost suddenly? Because the, these stories, you know, of the, of the Tic Tacs date back to the early 2000s. Why that? Why just now? I mean, we, I, we'd ask that question because we don't trust official sources anyway because they've supposedly lied to us for so long about this. How can we trust them now? So we rightfully ask, why this? Why now? But why, why evidence and, and why, why a congressional investigation into this, this UFO phenomenon, the UAPs, that finds basically that they can't identify a lot of them? We already knew that. Why an investigation into something that are, are basically our evidence is, is a, as a handful of recent cases, which, yeah, I mean, they're recent, so they're more, in, they're, you can investigate them more. The people are still alive. It's more recent. But, but at the same time, like we have military records and reports that go back decades and decades and decades and decades that are, with the exception of the video the Pentagon released, arguably more credible or at least more fascinating, maybe even more terrifying than anything that's happened in the 21st century that we've been made aware of at least is it just seems like there's, there's like a, there's like an attempt to bring this information to the public and to do it call them tic tacs. It's a fun, you know, word and to do it in a, in a light way to gently introduce the public to the idea and to the concept control the narrative, of course, in order to get the public to finally accept you know, without causing a detrimental effect on society, that we are not alone in the universe. But it seems weird that 
governments would be doing this while mainline academia and NASA and JPL are saying, hey, we want to send messages out into space to communicate with aliens because we really do think that they're out there somewhere. And if, if we do this, um, we, we'd just like there to be some international cooperation. It's like, I, I, it's, I, I don't know. These messages, although I think they could be potentially dangerous, I don't think we should be focused on the messaging. I think we already have the recipients of those messages, if you will, here right now in our skies, in our oceans. I mean, some people go as far as to suggest that UFOs and what we consider to be aliens are, are basically us. Not that it's some foreign government, but that it's, you could call it maybe a breakaway civilization in a sense, but it's basically the equivalent of you have a tribe of uncontacted natives living in the jungle, and then you have people that are living in you know a big city. The big city gets wiped out, and that tribe eventually develops and grows and maybe become, even becomes industrious, and uh, then they, 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 they take the place of, um, you know, in hundreds or thousands of years, they take the place of, uh, you know, the, the previous advanced civilization. And maybe they find artifacts, like like we, we find artifacts and we find things that are anomalous and we wonder where do these come from? They had to have been aliens. I and mean, it could have been an advanced human civilization. And it could be that the, um, the more advanced civilization might have uh, part, partly survived some great cataclysm. And uh, due to the survival of that, uh, maybe they, they've remained in uh, their shelters, their underground facilities, whatever, and they fly these craft around. And we, we were the, the savages. We were the natives. We were the undeveloped people that over a, hundred, few hundred, hundred, a few hundred or a few thousand years, we developed into where they were before they were destroyed, you know, or at least were on the path to advancing to more, more exotic forms of technology. And they're monitoring us so that we don't do the same thing that led them to destroy themselves. But they're humans. They're not really aliens. Or maybe maybe they look alien because they've lived underground. Maybe they look alien because, you know, they've, um, for generation after generation, they've been subject to some kind of lifestyle that we just can't understand. But they're here on Earth. They're in the ocean. They're underground. There's so many possibilities. This is what opens up the conversation, fortunately and unfortunately, for a really good debate, really good discussion, but it also opens the conversation up for fraud and for con artists and for scammers and for grifters and people that want to make money off selling nonsense. And um, I'd rather sh- I'd rather sell an open discussion than nonsense. So that's what we're doing here on The Secret Teachings. And when we come back, I'm going to discuss uh, this interstellar object that exploded over Earth in 2014 and how, once again, alternative independent media and ufology have taken the story and turned it into something that it's not. And uh, it's, it's something that's just bothersome to me because we can have a good conversation. We can think of these potentialities. We can debate them. We don't need to make things up, especially if we don't read what, you know, the, the <laughs> what did the government's report actually say about that interstellar object? I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. Stay with us. Broadcasting from the edge of thought and consciousness, it's KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. 
The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform, from Apple and Spreaker to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Also available is TST Weekends. Search the show name and start listening today for free. If you want to avoid those annoying ads, subscribe to our ad-free archive with our oldest shows, a private RSS feed, our montage archive, and Ryan's digital books. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. For a lot longer than most podcasts have been around, The Secret Teachings has been at the forefront of unique investigation into both the mundane and the extraordinary. Critical thought and controlled speculation allowed us to determine that the much-anticipated UAP report would be vague, unexplained, and would simply imply the need for defense against national security threats. We determined that sonic weapons were the cause of Havana Syndrome a full year before CNN acknowledged the same. We told you about the mind-controlled magic, sex slavery, and intellectual theft in the music industry long before Britney Spears spoke out about her conservatorship, and we've been removed from radio for refusing to censor our show over international child trafficking networks and sex cults long before Epstein didn't kill himself. This has been done with no budget, only your support, and a will to learn and succeed. And you can continue to be a part of the Secret Teachings journey as we broadcast Monday through Friday after lighting the void with Joe Roop right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. In 2014, according to declassified government data, a fireball blazed through the skies over Papua New Guinea and was, uh, according to U.S. Space Command, an interstellar object. Now, the alternative media, the mainstream uh, media, and the independent media have all reported this as a fun story fun headline for some clicks of course the alternative media and ufology and a lot of late night radio shows and of course it's all over social media as well are suggesting that this interstellar object was a spaceship and uh, I I saw the, the, the story originally on uh, Facebook 
And there was a picture with the article of a giant spaceship crashing into the water, which, first of all, there are some people on one end of the spectrum that actually think that's a real photograph. Just like the images from Antarctica of the spaceship in the ice. And I've told people for literally over a decade now, that's not a spaceship in the ice. That is a computer-generated image from a what amounts to a mockumentary a, a small short film slash documentary called the Orion conspiracy that came out in like 2008 or 2009. Like I watched it when I was in film school. So that was 2009, 10 and it had come out before that. And that image of the UFO in the ice was from that short film. It wasn't real, but people have been using that today as proof that there's UFOs in Antarctica because of the Corey good, David Wilcox stuff. This object very similar thing. People are sharing pictures of uh, an artist's rendering, a CG image. It's a spaceship crashing into the water. Well, that's not an official photograph. That's a rendering of what a spaceship crashing into the water might look like. You know. So here's what happened. In Papua New Guinea 2014, fireball blazes across the sky, according to a recent memo from U.S. Space Command. It was a fast-moving object from another solar system. It was interstellar. However, the object was not a mile-wide spaceship like Independence Day. It was approximately 1.5 feet across. So that just kind of deflates a lot of people. It deflates a lot of the, the good stories. Oh my God, did you hear the government said an interstellar object exploded over Earth and it slammed into the planet? Well, I, that's not actually what happened, but okay, it's actually a foot and a half across. So unless we're talking about those little alien, um, little alien, uh, U, they were actually U.S. Air Force, but little alien flying saucers from the Twilight Zone. That's season one, episode two, I think, where the woman is out in the out in the middle of nowhere and she's cutting things and making a dinner, and looks like she's living on a farm, and then she she gets kind of like attacked by these alien these tiny little alien things and then she when she destroys their little flying saucers it actually has like an i think it has an american flag on it that says u.s air force that's um you know if that's the if that if that's what crashed maybe if that's what exploded over earth if the tiny little 1.5 feet across flying saucer it's not a giant spaceship okay it's not a giant spaceship so basically the object's a meteorite 0.45 meter across slammed into Earth's atmosphere on January 8th, 2014, after traveling through space at more than 130,000 miles per hour, they estimate speed far exceeding the average velocity of meteors that orbit within the solar system. So there's another thing when they're like, well, this exceeds the normal velocity of meteors. People are like, yes, it means it's artificial. It must be an alien spaceship. It's a really small alien spaceship. They can't be carrying many, uh, many grays on that little disc. And it's not even a disc anyway. It's a fireball that exploded. A 2019 study argued that uh, the meteor speed, 1.5 feet across meteor, along with its trajectory of its orbit, proved with 99% accuracy, 99% certainty, that the object had originated far beyond our solar system. The authors wrote, possibly, quote, from the deep interior of a planetary system or a star in the thick disk of the Milky Way galaxy. Now, in 2017, 
Omoamoa was spotted making this Papua New Guinea fireball in 2014 that exploded 1.5 feet across little meteorite, which I think is so funny. It's a flying saucer. It's a giant spaceship that exploded. No, it's actually, it's, it's a foot and a half across. So it's, that's, <laughs> it's like the size of my keyboard here. Um, that makes it, uh, it predates Oumuamua as the first interstellar object uh, acknowledged by or identified uh, by and acknowledged by uh, scientists and, 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 and the government. So Oumuamua wasn't the first interstellar object. It was this 2014 object. Now, Oumuamua is different because Oumuamua was um, a little bit bigger than, I think, 1.5 feet. And uh, it was very flat. And I read like pancake-like. Of course, people were like, Oumuamua, it's, inter- it's interstellar. It's a giant spaceship passing by Earth. They, people did the same thing with Oumuamua. But some people thought Oumuamua was a Bracewell probe. Uh, Avi Loeb uh, and others have um, kind of famously taken that that concept, that idea that Oumuamua was a space probe, an alien probe, and it was monitoring Earth. And if you don't know what a Bracewell probe is, it's basically a, it's a hypothetical concept for an autonomous interstellar probe that is uh, dispatched into space with the purpose of communicating with alien civilizations. I mean, that's basically what Voyager was. It's you know, the, the Voyager uh, golden records in 1977 sent out with images of life and culture on earth. It's, it's like a cosmic time capsule. It's basically a Bracewell probe and uh, these other messages in uh, 1974 in Arecibo. And then the new one JPL is, is uh, putting together to send out and, you know, not, not to forget about, the METI message in 2017 and the Yev Patoria radio telescope cosmic calls in 1999 and 2003, they're all basically like non-physical probes. They're just messages sent out to um, basically find, uh, you know, find an alien species, try to find contact and, and make contact and, and all that. So, Oumuamua was predated by this object in 2014. Then there's also the comet 21 Borisov that showed up in like 20, it was like 2019. And uh, then we started to recognize there are a lot of interstellar objects that are passing through our solar system, which one could assume that, but scientists needed proof. So here's the proof. There's also another asteroid in 2015. I'm not sure if they consider it to be interstellar. Uh, it's called BZ509 or the K Ipaoka Ewale or Ewela. Uh, it's a it has a weird orbit, and it's um, I guess it's the same as Jupiter's, but in the opposite direction or retrograde. So people thought again, it has a strange orbit. It must be an alien spaceship. Uh, people also believe that because this 1.5 foot meteorite exploded over the the earth in 2014 it must have been a giant spaceship uh not really but it gets some clicks on youtube and makes it harder for honest people to to do work but that's all right also the uh, 19 objects in 2020 that were identified uh, uh well they there's a couple of here that we've already heard of before but according to a study published in 2020 total of 19 asteroids that scientists believe are interstellar were were uh, discovered and identified. Uh, there's a Science Alert article written about it. 
some of these are just, you know, it's just space rock. It's not like a spaceship, space rock, not a spaceship. Another article, a population of interstellar asteroids has been found hiding between Jupiter and Neptune. Between Jupiter and Neptune, there's like, they say there's like 19 or something uh, interstellar asteroids. But some people also don't believe those are asteroids. Some people think that, they, and, I, and I mean this seriously, that they might actually be a, a, a group of like a fleet of, of spaceships. Maybe they are a fleet of spaceships. And they're not just uh, rock and metal. Uh, that's, you know, I, that's, it's a possibility. I'm not telling you that to, to sell the idea to you. I'm just, it's, I guess it's always a possibility, but we have to be, I think probably more concerned with asteroids, more concerned with, uh, big dirty snowballs in space more so than we need to be concerned about these, these radio messages that have been sent out because these, um, these big dirty snowballs, these asteroids, they can come out of nowhere and they can cause, uh, well, they can cause an extinction-level event, uh, maybe even more terrifying than an alien invasion. So these comets, these asteroids, NASA has been tracking, of course, uh, for, for decades, they've been tracking these near-Earth objects. According to the National Near-Earth Object Preparedness Strategy, if you want to find a copy of that, just type that in, near Earth Object Preparedness Strategy 2016. This is actually from the Executive Office of the President in 2016. It says detection rates are increasing for NEOs, but it's estimated that less than 30% of NEOs large enough to cause regional damage have been identified. So there's still a lot of near-Earth objects that have yet to be identified, and they could cause us a lot of trouble. Uh, Recently, on April 12th, it was reported that there is a gargantuan 4-billion-year-old rock that is heading toward Earth at 22,000 miles per hour. The icy rock C-2014UN271, or the Bernardinelli Bernstein, which is named after the discoverers, is on course to miss our planet by about a billion miles in 2031. The Astrophysical Journal Letters said the comet made its closest approach to Earth 3.5 million years ago when it came within about a a billion and a half miles of our sun. So this object is way out there, but of course the headline, largest comet ever seen has a heart blacker than coal and it's headed our way. Yeah, but it's about a billion miles away from us and it's not going to cause any damage. Then, of course, you have these other asteroids, these other uh, space rocks that have been a much larger concern, even if not scientifically, esoterically, and in occult circles, Bennu and Apophis. And uh, these are considered doomsday asteroids that NASA thinks have a very good chance of crashing into Earth. Apophis is no longer considered a big threat, but it is. it's interesting because Apophis is named after the Egyptian god of chaos, or Apep, and it's supposed to blow by Earth on April 13th. I believe that's a Friday, actually, Friday the 13th of 2029 at a distance of 19,000 miles. So Apophis comes a lot closer than Bernard uh, Bernardinelli Bernstein, or UN-271, this big... Uh, 
four billion old rock that Live Science was reporting on the other day. So Apophis is not a billion miles out. It's 19,000 miles out from the surface. Apophis, of course, will, you've probably heard the story a thousand times. It's supposed to appear in the night sky over the southern hemisphere, making itself known to viewers on the east coast of Australia. Uh, they've, they've mapped all this out uh, with computer models and simulations. They say that chances of collision are 2.7%. That's still very, very, very high, though. But it's, um, it's very unlikely that it's going to, to strike the planet. That's a much, much closer potential threat than uh, this other larger object. That's Apophis. Of course, I said Bennu is another one. Uh, also, we did a show on this. April 9th, 2021, NASA's Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer spacecraft took one last look at Bennu back in October of 20, uh, was it 2019? And uh, it should be back, I think it's 2019, because the sample was last October 2020. So they took the sample in 2020, and then they're supposed to return back to Earth with that sample from Bennu in 2023. But uh, the name of this this probe, the Origin Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer, think about it for a second, is OSIRIS. OSIRIS studied the asteroid, revealing the many secrets of its ancient body, delivering clues about its rubble pile-like consistency and surface terrain, which turned out to be much rockier and more rugged than initially expected from the observations of ground-based telescopes. Again, Osiris. So whether we're naming asteroids like Apophis, Egyptian god of chaos, or we're naming probes after Egyptian gods of the underworld, Egyptian gods of agriculture and things like that, it's interesting that we always choose the gods. We always choose the gods in our, our, our naming of things, whether it's a probe or a planet. I mean, you know, of course, NASA missions are famous for this. Mercury, Apollo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We did a really interesting show on this if you want the, the explicit details back in July of last year called Comet Relief. Like comic Relief, Comet Relief from Bennu to Apophis. And we talked about, um, you know, all these different, it's, it's, go back to 1969, right? Man walked on the moon. And now NASA has this new moon mission, right? In 2024, they, they, I mean, we've heard a lot of mixed things about this, but they say they want to, they want to turn, return to the moon, send a man to the moon in 2024, and the mission is called Artemis. Well, Artemis is the twin sister of Apollo, for which the original moon program was named. And that marks a long tradition of using mythology and symbols in space exploration. Scientists are also now telling us that the asteroid named after the god of uncreation, Apophis, probably won't pose much of a threat to us, but there's always that possibility. It's much closer than this billion-mile-out asteroid that's coming in a few... When did they say this other asteroid was coming? By 2031, a few years, a decade or so. And so the, the Chinese uh, are sending rockets to meet with uh, the asteroid Bennu in order to experiment with the uh, deflection techniques for future potentially hazardous events. The U.S. is, of course, doing the same with Project Hammer for Bennu, and they're also testing. They launched, uh, I think they've already launched several. They've either launched, uh, I know they launched one test of this, the DART project, D-A-R-T, for the asteroid Didymus, by fall of 2021. So I, they, I think they did launch that. Because they were supposed to launch it, I think, and then there was a delay. 
And then they were supposed to launch it again by the end of 2021. I think they did launch that. And then, of course, the OSIRIS mission, you know, is coming home by 2023. So we'll get more information on the asteroid uh, Bennu as a result of that. Uh, but the, the, we haven't really identified any of these other other rocks out there. And uh, we're, when we do study them, when we do look for them, we're, there's, a, there's a lot of things that we overlook. One of the things we overlook is why there's, there's such a heavy significance placed on the, the symbolic nature of this investigation, of this study, with the naming of these objects, or the naming of probes after ancient gods and goddesses, Artemis, the new moon mission, back to Apollo, or the Osiris probe. And um, if you think, think of Bennu, Bennu is the bird of Osiris. Bennu is a bird, or like kind of like the Bin-Bin stone, or the Bennu is the bird of Osiris and Ra. And in the sanctuary of, of Osiris and Ra's bird is the Bin-Bin stone. You know, uh, Odin also had famous birds, uh, wisdom and, and logic and different interpretations of what those birds mean. He, re- he released them, and they kind of like, you know, Noah did on the ark. It's just the same, no pun intended, archetype. It's the same same archetype. So Osiris, and then you have, you know, Bennu, and all these different Artemis, and Apollo, and the Mercury missions, and, and whatnot. And uh, it, it takes me back to what I said earlier tonight about how scientists who are interested in sending these messages out into space are interested in finding extraterrestrials and aliens, but we're, we, what we really want is, and what we really desire is communication and confirmation from a higher intelligence that we're worth communicating with. That's, that's really one of the foundational reasons we're doing this. We want a higher intelligence to not only acknowledge us, but to maybe provide us with uh, new technologies, new information, things we don't know, help us advance. And in doing this, we're also placing ourselves in a very dangerous position by sending out so much of this information about who we are, what we are, and where we are to potential hostile forces. And we are, I mean, our barrier to, uh, to, uh, like our defense against uh, even arguments uh, against sending these things is, well, we have uh, an electromagnetic and chemical signature anyway. And well, you know, they, it would take so long to travel, it's unlikely they'd get here if they were hostile. But that's assuming that they're, they're traveling the way that we travel. That's assuming a lot. It's assuming so much that we, we, we might not want to be putting uh, the life of the planet into that position just because even top scientists aren't able to think beyond, you know, well, this is our technology, so they'd probably communicate in the same way. They probably wouldn't. And uh, any kind of alien invasion would be far more sophisticated than uh, an Independence Day scenario. But if we really want to to protect our planet, if we really are concerned, we should be more concerned with these asteroids. We should be more concerned with these comets. And not just because of the the dark side of, of naming them Apophis or Bennu or uh, naming probes like Osiris, uh, you know, after gods. We might want to be more concerned that these dirty, a lot of these dirty little snowballs actually carry things with them that could make us very, very sick. Uh, something akin to an extraterrestrial plague, and not necessarily 
from something like a virus, which you know you you hear, you hear people talking about comets can carry viruses and bacteria with them. And this could make us very sick. I mean, it could. But the, 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 I think the big issue is these comets carry with them a lot more than viruses and bacteria. They carry with them things like ammonia. They carry with them uh, things like carbon monoxide. They carry things with them like sulfur dioxide. And it's really, really a fascinating... I mean, fascinating might be an understatement. It is a, it is a mind-bending history when you study influenza, like the word influenza, it comes from influence, the influenza, influenza, the influence of the stars. You find that plagues and bouts of sickness throughout history have usually come directly after the planet's interaction with a large, fiery object in heaven. That leads some believe uh, some to believe, including the author of the Gods of Eden, William Bramley, that uh, these might actually be you know spaceships that are bringing diseases here to call the planet. Uh, I think um, you know that's very it's a very intriguing book, The Gods of Eden, but it's also very likely from a strictly non alien perspective that we're interacting with um, not only viruses, bacteria, but various poisonous gases that if a, a comet passes by Earth and uh, it's, it begins to melt a little bit, maybe that's, that's what causes the tail, and the Earth passes through the, the trail of that, that comet, we pick up a lot of these, these chemicals. We pick up a lot of this stuff, and it, 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 it could make us very, very sick. And in fact, if you go back into history and you read about the Black Death, for example... The Black Death originally spread uh, over most of Europe in the mid-1300s. They say it was caused by the bacterium uh, Yersinia pestis, spread through fleas and lice and rats. But you can, you can read um, a, lot of, a lot of very well-written, uh, very well-documented material that shows that there have not been shown to be a lot of evidence or proof of this. It's just, it's just a hypothesis. Um, and it's estimated up to 60% of Europe died. Now there were there were other outbreaks in the 1600s. There were several, several outbreaks throughout history, but what's really fascinating is around the time of the first outbreak, there was a major asteroid strike. Tree rings reveal that a major event took place before before 1350, and around this time is when the so-called plague spread throughout Europe. And it likely spread in other parts of the world that maybe we don't have a lot of record of. We don't even have a lot of record of this. But it, it basically, it's the idea that an asteroid strikes the Earth. We have evidence of that in uh, tree rings. Some big environmentally cataclysmic thing happened. And then people became very, very sick. So you could say that, you know, maybe this thing was a, was a flying saucer. It, but no, the, the reality is it was an asteroid based on tree rings, based on science, based on all the, the, the evidence. People, will of course, refute this, and everybody has a right to refute it, but it's the idea that comets and asteroids are actually responsible for a lot of the diseases from various things like ammonia and, and whatnot that get, get into the, the atmosphere, and it makes us sick. 
I mean, even if you read, if you just go into uh, government websites, uh, go to the CDC. I know you were told not to believe them and to do the opposite, but I promise you, if you read what they say about ammonia, what ammonia does to the body, ammonia levels that are high can cause damage to the lungs. Well, that's COVID-19, isn't it? Not to bring that up tonight on, a, on, a, on an alien show, but that's COVID-19, damage to the lungs. I mean, if, it's not only asteroids and comets, but also uh, solar cycles. A Canadian astronomer, Ken Tapping, along with uh, uh, physicians from uh, British Columbia, documented in 2001 that for the last three centuries, uh, influenza flu pandemics were the result of peak solar magnetic activity. It occurs at the height of the sun's 11-year solar cycle, which correlates with previous flu pandemics. In 1992, R. Edgar Hope Simpson, a very famous and leading authority on influenza, charged in his book that what was thought of this influenza disease, the sickness, did not support the direct human-to-human mode of transmission. That was even proven decades before 1919 when researchers in Boston attempted to unsuccessfully transmit influenza from person to person. And if you just continue to, it's very interesting, I wrote about this in my book, Food Philosophy, but if you read, read this, um, between 1645 and 1715, uh, the, the Maunder Minimum, the sun uh, was very quiet during this period, no sunspots. Uh, and then, uh, you know, there was also no worldwide influenza pandemics. And then solar activity increased in 1715. And with the next couple of years, sunspots reached uh, several hundred for the first time in over a century. And then in 1728, we saw uh, influenza break out across the world. And it appeared on every continent and increased in severity uh, over the next couple of years, lasting for almost a decade. Just basically, the sun, comets, and asteroids, these things cause a lot of uh, the different kinds of diseases we blame to viruses or bacteria that, that are solely here on Earth, and they just are searching for something to attack. But the, the whole point in this is we send messages from Arecibo, we send messages through Medi, we send messages through Voyager in 77, we send messages through the... You have Patoria radio telescope, uh, the cosmic call messages in the early 2000s. There's an updated message called Beacon in the Galaxy. Stephen Hawking, uh, Dr. Toby Ord, uh, Anders Sandberg of Oxford, they warn this might not be a good idea to send these messages. Other people say we've already let aliens know where we are. We've already let aliens know who we are. We've, already, we've done this just through TV and radio, so it couldn't hurt. But if we do get a response back, from uh, this new 2022 message they want to send out. Uh, the question is, if the response is kind of balanced, it's not extreme. It's not like, hey, we want to get to know you, and hey, we want to kill you. It goes without saying that the notion of such a response at all, especially if it doesn't involve physical contact or outright invasion, is, is almost as chilling, if not more so chilling. Because we desire communication from higher intelligence that that we're worth communicating with, that we're worth talking to. And that's very magical. That's the same reason that NASA uses all of these different names, Bennu, Apophis, Osiris, Artemis, Apollo, because it's magic. And they use that in, uh, in their, their missions and their probes and, and things like that and naming asteroids. But the thing is, being brushed off, even politely, by vastly superior intelligences might be more devastating to our civilization, uh, civilization than direct contact. And if we're really worried about that, we should also be worried about interstellar and extraterrestrial objects. 
that can crash into our planet or bring disease with them. And uh, that would, might be a different kind of invasion that, that we're not really thinking of. So we, there's a lot to think about, a lot to worry about, but a lot to be optimistic about here on The Secret Teachings. I hope that you enjoyed the show tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. TheSecretTeachings.info. Subscribe, get access to all the shows, all the montages, my digital books. Get access to the show before it airs when it's pre-recorded. You get access to the shows without those monetized ads on the other platforms you might listen to the show on. So please subscribe. Please buy a book. Please support our affiliate Pro One Water Filters and our behind-the-scenes content at Patreon. That's patreon.com. rdgable at yahoo.com is the email. That's rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and brace well for impact or brace well for contact. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Yeah.